0: Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. It is a great joy to be with you today. I am excited to be able to share in the study of the Word of God with you. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you take it and turn, would you believe, to the Gospel of Mark? chapter 9. We've been studying through this gospel this semester, and it's my privilege to take us to Mark chapter 9. I was talking with Dr. Whitfield before, and I said, when I was here, when you took us through Mark 6, you took us through the entire chapter. I don't know that there's any way I can do that in 30 minutes. So um, if you guys want to get the rest of the chapter, I can meet you this afternoon about 2, but we're going to focus on part of this chapter this morning together. Here's my question to you, students and faculty. Do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Now, I believe all of us would immediately say and respond to that, yes, we would. I think that I want to call you to meditate on that question a moment as we get into this text because experiencing the power of God in our lives, in the seminary, in our churches across the world experiencing the power of God may not be exactly what we think, but it would get us to what we know would be God's will and God's glory. And the way to get there is not perhaps the way that you think it is to get to God's will and God's glory. That's part of what this section of Mark's gospel is teaching us. So do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Are you experiencing the power of God in your life? Why or why not? In 2003, I was almost five years into my first pastorate Mine and Jenny's lives were being challenged in many ways and, and we were sensing God leading us to some transition in our life, that something was coming. and That could have been because of all the things that were already there. I just finished my PhD coursework. We were expecting our first child. The church had just completed a huge building, building project. We were in a transition there at the church I was in and there was some expectation both within the church. You'll get what I mean by that later. Uh, if you're in ministry, you know that. there's some expectation in the church, hey, he's going to move on. It's time. And there was some expectation outside of the church. People were talking to me about, maybe it's time for you. Then I had an older pastor who insisted on recommending me to another church in the state of North Carolina. Jenny and I prayed about that, and we ultimately turned him down, but accepted an invitation to that very same church to do their spring revival. And I preached their revival, I met their folks, we began to love them, and and they began to pursue us as a pastoral candidate at this particular church. We prayed and sought the Lord's guidance and the counsel of, of many mentors, and finally we decided that we would meet with their search committee and talk about is God leading us to come to this particular church. Soon it became obvious that doctrinally there were differences between us and the church. This was a First Baptist church in a city in North Carolina that uh, was at that time more of a holdout of the moderate and and more liberal movement in our own convention. And so those differences came out in the meetings, but the committee was so sure that the church was ready for a change. After much prayer and counsel, we decided to move forward. They decided decided to move forward and we preached in view. Of a call or I preached in view of a call and then had a question-answer period after that time where those doctrinal differences actually came out among the congregation. Jenny and I were, after that meeting, a little less than excited about what we believed God was leading in our lives to move to this point, and, and they voted a week later, and when the church voted, they voted on us, and it split the church 45 to 55, which on one hand made it very clear. But on another hand, friends, it sent me into a huge moment of questioning. God, I thought you were leading in this way. We thought we were following you. How how about questioning of myself, my leadership ability, my ability to articulate doctrine in a way that is convincing? And even, believe it or not, it made me question my call. I'd never felt so rejected or dejected. I'd been honest with them, I'd given my best, and yet here was a church that was rejecting me. It was in that moment, with a hundred details that I will not bore you with in this moment, that God began exposing a feeble and sometimes faltering faith in my own life. He was teaching me a vital lesson, and that lesson is this. God's work in my life is not limited by his ability, but by my faith. God's work in my life is not limited by God's ability. It's limited by my faith. He was showing me that what I really needed was not this great, wonderful faith. It was maybe a small faith in the great, wonderful God that he is. And that's what I believe we're being taught in Mark chapter nine. Our study of the gospel of Mark this semester has brought us through this first section of this gospel where you and I are, uh, Mark is answering the question, who is Jesus? Telling us about his identity and his authority. This culminates then in chapter eight with Peter's confession when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Here's the leader of the disciples that says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. That's the answer that we've been waiting for. That's what Mark is writing for. That's what Jesus is trying to convince the disciples that, He is, as Mark starts in chapter 1, the Son of God, the one who has been sent by God. And so we have that high mark in the gospel. At that point, Mark changes in his gospel to show us then how Jesus, following that confession, you are the Messiah, he begins to teach them what it means to be the Messiah what the kingdom of God is like, what it means to live as part of the kingdom of God. We could wrap that up, and many have to say that this is these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, are the discipleship discourse. Jesus is teaching them what it means to be a disciple. This includes teaching about what it means to be the Messiah, as we saw in chapter 8, the nature of the kingdom of God, and all of these kinds of things. And, And being the Messiah, he says, is not exactly what you think, Peter, because Jesus teaches them that he will suffer and die to pay the price for sin, and then on the third day rise from the dead. Peter hears that, the one who had just confessed and says, Jesus, you can't say that, that's not what it means. Peter rebukes Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you something further in the end of chapter 8. Not only am I going to die, but if you want to follow after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow after me. What he's saying is not only am I going to die, you must die. The question as we begin, Mark chapter 9 then, really is this. Will we follow the suffering Savior and give up our lives to him and for him Or will we refuse to believe? It really is a question of faith. The first part of chapter 9 then, Jesus gives them a reason to believe. He takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. They see a visible manifestation of the glory of Jesus Christ, the majesty of His deity. Not only do they see that with their own eyes, they then hear the voice of the Father confirming Jesus' identity and calling His disciples, He says, the father says listen to him this is my son listen to him so they come back down the mountain jesus begins to talk and they get to see if they heard and will follow what the father said jesus says don't tell anyone what you've seen here until the son of man has risen from the dead wait what? We, we just saw Jesus in all of his glory. We just saw him dazzling so wide and, and the deity that he is. We heard the voice of the Father. Now you're talking about rising from the dead. And so the text says, they then begin to ask, what, what in the world is rising from the dead? What they're saying is, Jesus, you, you can't die. And they're debating about what that even means, rising from the dead. Now, in the text I want us to read this morning, beginning in verse 14, we pick up where they come to the other nine disciples and they are in the midst of the crisis and that's where we really learn what Jesus is doing. The power of God in your life that they had just witnessed is not limited by God's ability, but by our faith. What I learned, friends, when I was questioning everything about my call and God's direction for my life is that God's work to bring about His will to use us for His glory is not limited because of His ability. It's limited because of my faith. And He's building our faith in every circumstance, especially those where our faith falters and where our faith is feeble. If you're here this morning and you want to experience the power of God in your life, this text is for you. It teaches us how our faith, our trusting God, relates to our experience of God's power in our lives. So let's look at the disciples who fail to cast out a demon and a father who is desperate and wants Jesus to heal his son. Mark chapter 9, begin reading in verse 14. Follow along with me if you will. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said, And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and dead spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to see in this text this morning seven lessons from the faltering faith of the disciples and the feeble faith of a father that help us grow in our faith in Jesus so that we can indeed experience the power of God in our lives. And yes, I did say seven. So hold on, get your pens and paper out, and we'll write these down and move forward. Verse 14, Jesus and the three disciples come back to find the other nine disciples in a dispute with the scribes. The disciples had experienced a failed attempt to cast out a demon. The Father blames the disciples for the failure, and no doubt they are being ridiculed by the scribes that are there because, think about this, a failure of the disciples, for the scribes at least, is also a failure of Jesus himself. And so they're there disputing with the disciples. This is where we learn our first lesson about how to grow our faith so that we can experience the power of God. Number one, don't allow your failures to become distractions. Let me say this very plainly to you, brothers and sisters. You will have times when you fail. There will be times when you fail in your faith, when you don't have enough faith to follow after God, when you're blinded and, and your faith is actually in the wrong things, you will trust the wrong things. That is sin. Let's, let's agree with that. Failure of our faith is always and only a result of sin in our lives. Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. And when our faith fails, it's an opportunity for the enemy to come in and work. The disciples are distracted here into an argument and they're distracted from the ministry that God had called them to and the ministry that they had intended to do in the name of Jesus. And we find them not ministering but disputing. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about this in his letters in the New Testament, doesn't he? how dangerous it is just to dispute over things. Remember, Jesus had given these disciples the authority to cast out demons in chapter 3 verse 15. They had had great success in casting out demons and and healing the sick in chapter 6. And now their faith has failed and because they're disputing the ministry is stopped. Sometimes Brothers and sisters, when we fail, we become defensive about our own actions, trying to to justify where we are and what happened, and, and we lose our focus, and we even sometimes will walk away from ministry. Lesson number one that I believe that you can take from this is don't allow your failures to distract you from the work of God. In verse 15, when Jesus enters encounters the crowd, they're amazed at him and run to him and he asks what's going on. Some man in the crowd speaks up and states the problem that led to the dispute. He had brought his son to Jesus for healing. The disciples attempted and failed. And in Jesus' response in verses 17 through 19, we learn a second lesson about how to grow our faith. Accept the rebuke of the Lord as a gift that exposes your need For growth, accept rebuke as a gift that exposes your need for growth. Specifically, down in verse 19, Jesus rebuke when he says, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? That is not a soft rebuke. A lot of times we think about Jesus as this soft-spoken leader in the New Testament. He is not being soft-spoken here. He is not being gentle here. He is looking at the entire crowd, the scribes, the crowd, and his disciples and says, you unbelieving generation. He is calling out their faithlessness very clearly. It's a straightforward and it is harsh in the way that he says it. He accuses them all of faithlessness. Faithlessness. You almost feel the frustration in Jesus and you hear the truth in the two rhetorical questions that he asked. How long will I be with you? We know the answer. He was trying to tell them the answer, but they weren't getting it. And how long must I put up with you? Jesus knows that they will be alone and and wait on the Spirit of God and he wants them to experience the power of God and he knows that he is not physically going to be with them very long. When faith fails... Friends, and God rebukes us, we have one of two choices. I've seen this in ministry. I've seen it in my own life. When God rebukes us either through His Word or through His church or by His Spirit, you and I typically respond in one of two ways. We turn away from God because we can't handle the rebuke and we want to justify ourselves and leave, or we turn to the Savior and run to Him. It's a mark of the growth of your faith Brothers and sisters, when you run to Jesus in your failure and when you're rebuked, allow the rebuke of God in your life, whether it be, as I mentioned, through the Spirit of God and His Word or through the church of God and His Word. Let it be an opportunity to turn you to the Lord, an opportunity for growth. The third lesson that will help our faith grow is this. Acknowledge the work and the goal of the enemy acknowledge the work and the goal of the enemy. In verse 20, they bring the boy to Jesus and the demonic spirit immediately begins to fight. This is a real spiritual battle going on. It throws him into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around and he's foaming at the mouth and Jesus in that moment turns to the Father and begins to have a conversation. How long has this been going on? Notice in verse 22, the father had answered since childhood and he says, and many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. Again, this is not the center of this text, but you should know this, brothers and sisters. You have an enemy that will not stop until you are destroyed. Satan is not pleased with with you just not being radical in your following of Christ. He will not stop. He is a thief and a killer, and he desires your eternal destruction. If you want to grow your faith, you must realize you have an enemy who is at work in this world, and he does what he does by stealing, killing, and destroying Don't give him an inch in your life. Don't think, well, if I'm just not that radical, I can just be okay in following Jesus. Your faith requires this radical commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have an enemy that will not stop until you're destroyed. Don't give him anything. Jesus calls for radical surrender. He'll do that in the end of this text. If you want to follow him, faith requires that we radically commit to him. The father continues on, and we learn a fourth lesson in his response to Jesus. Look at the end of verse 22. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, we hear that, and and I want to just mention before we get to that fourth lesson, don't be too hard on this father. He has experienced the failures of Jesus' disciples, and now he pleads with Jesus, if you can do anything, they couldn't, and you've taught them, but if you can do anything... The demon was was too much for the disciples. Perhaps it's too powerful for you, Jesus. Nevertheless, he does ask for help. Remember, he's on the other side of the resurrection and the cross. And he's looking at Jesus and saying, if you can do anything, the fourth lesson then is this, appeal to Jesus for compassion and help. When you're in this point where your faith is faltering or, or you have this feeble faith and you need to see Jesus' work and you need the power of God in your life, appeal to Him for compassion and help. Brothers and sisters, if you're here today and your faith has failed, You would say, I I want to believe. I I want to see the power of God in my life. This is the invitation for you. Appeal to Jesus. Come to him as this father who did have small faith, but he came to the Lord Jesus. He cried out to him. He asked him to help. Cry out to the Lord. Ask him to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Ask him to help you. He delights in your appeal to him. The Father does what is exactly the right thing. He appeals to Jesus, and in that we learn, in His appeal, we learn our fifth lesson, affirm your trust and admit your need. Affirm your trust and admit your need. Jesus responds to him, if you can. You can almost hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice. He knows who he is. He knows what he's trying to teach the disciples. And yet this father has seen the failure of the disciples and he's coming kind of tentatively to Jesus And then Jesus makes this promise that I believe gets us to the center of what he wants you to know about the power of God in your life. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus, if you can do anything, and Jesus said, you know, what happens in this moment is not dependent on my power. I have no shortage of ability. What is dependent on me working is your faith. And school, church, friends, I want you to hear this. At Southeastern, in our churches, what limits God's work in this world at this moment is not our God's power. He has the ability to display his power in ways that would turn hearts of fathers and Sons of mothers and daughters to himself. And he says to us, everything is possible for the one who believes. He's not only saying this for the benefit of the father standing in front of him, he's saying this for the benefit of the disciples who had just failed at casting out a demon. He's saying this for the benefit of the disciples who had seen him transfigured in front of their eyes and then talk about dying and rising from the dead. He's saying to them, everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus is plainly speaking of his power. And the discipleship principle that we are looking at in this text, God's work is not limited by his power but by my faith. The Father then risks everything, doesn't he, on the little faith that he has. And this is, again, the call to us. Would you cry out to Jesus the way this father does. We look at his faith and we say, oh, it is a little faith, but that is all that we need. We need a little faith in a great God. You see, because the power of what faith can do is not in the person that holds it. It is in the one in which we are believing. I believe. Help my unbelief. His faith has been tested by the disciples' failure, but now it's confessed. I believe. Jesus, I've heard what you've said. I've seen what you've told me. I believe, help my unbelief. That's the cry that the disciples should have had as they're walking back down the mountain. It's the cry that Peter should have had when Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified and I'll rise from the dead. Instead of rebuking him, he should have said, I believe, help my unbelief. And church, how many times do you and I come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to see your power? And yet God would say to us, it is not limited by my abilities it's limited by your faith will you trust me and that is the real point of this text all of us struggle with belief all of us come before the lord and say lord i i struggle But this Father and you can look to the Lord Jesus Christ and affirm your trust in Him. And so here's the question this morning. If you want to see the power of God at work in your life, the question of this text and the question of salvation and the question of sanctification is, do you believe what Jesus is saying here? Everything is possible for the one who believes. Do you believe that God is able... To use you? Do you believe that God is able to bring men and women to himself? Do you believe that God is able for his church in this cultural moment to flourish and be a light and salt? Do you believe that God can do the work that he's promised to do? And the answer today is not, yes, Lord, I see it all and I believe it all. The answer for us is, Lord, I do believe, help me where I struggle. I taste of true faith sometimes. There are moments in my walk with the Lord, friends, that I can tell you that I am walking in faith before the Lord. I taste of true faith. And then there are moments where I struggle, that I look around and I say, Lord, I can't do this. That's faltering faith. Because I'm thinking, I can't do this. There are moments that I taste of genuine faith and I'm I'm walking in, in complete trust in our Father. And there are moments when my eyes are distracted. My heart is not quieted by Jesus' promise. Those moments drive us to our God. I believe. Help my unbelief. He admitted the feebleness of his faith after confessing that very faith didn't he why why would we say that this man is the example because he put his faith in the lord jesus christ he trusted his word and he trusted his ability the man knew his own inability right this was his son He had seen what the demon had done in his son for all of his life. He knew he couldn't do it. But in that moment of confession, he believes in Jesus' sufficiency. He admitted his own impotence. He believed in Jesus' power. Faith, friends, is not some mechanical or manipulative aid that you can use to get what you want from God. Faith is the channel through which your total dependence on and trust in God is expressed and through which you experience God's power. Let me say that again and we'll move on. Faith is not some mechanical or manipulative aid to get what you want from God. No, faith is a channel through which you express your total dependence on and trust in God and through which, through faith, you experience God's power affirm your trust admit your need it's not a perfect faith lord cry out with the psalmist in psalm 73 who have i in heaven but you and i desire nothing on earth but you my flesh and my heart may fail but god is the strength of my heart my portion forever this is a strong position to admit a feeble faith that is in a capable god The sixth lesson to grow my faith is found in verses 25 and following anticipate then the work of God. When you express genuine faith and dependence upon God, you can expect to experience the power of God in your life. Jesus is teaching them about discipleship. Mark is putting this particular healing here not so that we would know of Jesus' authority. We've already learned of that in the first part of the gospel. He's putting this healing here in the midst of a a discourse on discipleship because he's teaching them when you live by this faith, when you believe that everything is possible with God, then you can expect, you can anticipate an experience of the power of God in your life. Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit. He commands the spirit to come out and never to return. And in verse 26, it left the boy in a state that the people thought he was dead. Look what Mark says. He became like a corpse and and many said he was dead. So I want you to note this as you anticipate the work of God. It's really important for us. Jesus' intervention led to what may have been perceived as worse than what the disciples' failure left this boy with. You see that in this text? The disciples failed, but the boy was still with his father. Now Jesus has cast out the demon, and the father and those that are around are looking down at a little boy who looks like a corpse, and the people around are saying, this boy is dead. If you want to grow in your faith, brothers and sisters, you can anticipate God's work in your life, but you should note, once you proclaim your faith, it will be tested. Do you trust God or or were you just trying to manipulate him to get what you wanted? Jesus' work in your life, friends, may not have the results that you wanted in that moment. They may not have. Jesus displaying his power may not have the immediate results you expect. And isn't that the point of Mark 9? Here's the transfiguration, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this until I rise from the dead. And they were not expecting death. That's what he teaches them in Mark 8. I'm going to die, and Peter rebukes him. And now in Mark 9, it's the same thing. He teaches them again about the cross, the way to this glory. The way to this salvation is through death. And by the way, if you want to follow me... You're going to have to die. And they don't want the death. They don't want the suffering. They want the glory, just like you and I. Let's not be too harsh on them. And here Jesus is showing them a visible picture of that. This father trusts him. He heals the boy, and yet the boy is laying on the ground as a corpse, and many are saying he's dead. Jesus' work in your life may not have the immediate results that you expect. Salvation and healing in this text is a process in which sometimes things appear to get worse before they get better. What had given this boy his complete identity and life is no longer there. He's no longer what he was. Jesus gives him new life, a new identity. Sometimes you may feel the same. You gave everything to the Lord, but you feel dead. So, verse 27, Jesus reaches down, grabs the boy's hand, raises him, and he stood up. Brothers and sisters, this is resurrection language. It it, it could literally be read just like this. Raised him, and he was resurrected. He raised him up. I want to be clear. The boy was not dead. Jesus does not say that, nor does Mark. The people just thought he was dead. But what is Mark doing? He's foreshadowing for us what is going on in the broader picture of the gospel of Mark. What Jesus had already said that he will do when he is crucified, he will rise from the dead. And so when you see the glory and you see this is what I believe, everything is possible with our God and things still don't go the way that you plan, you still trust. My trust is not in my faith. My trust is in Jesus and his power. When Jesus has already said he would go to the cross and be raised from the dead, he's really showing them what they're struggling with in their walk down from the mountain. What does He mean by rising from the dead? Jesus showing them He has power over every bondage, over sin, over sickness, over death. And the question is to them and to us, will you believe? Believe what? That He can bring the dead back to life. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter, friends. And Easter is the center of our faith because if we know that Jesus walked out of that tomb then that kind of power says that He can help us overcome sin, that He can do whatever He wants, that His will and His work in our life to glorify Him, to bring about His kingdom will be accomplished. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? The final lesson about growing our faith is found in the disciples' question in verses 28 and 29. Assess your faith with the help of Jesus Assess your faith with the help of Jesus. In verse 28, the disciples wait until they have Jesus along. They say, why could we not drive this one out? Uh, Just to note this, this is the right posture. They're asking the Lord to assess them. When your faith fails and when you're not experiencing the power of God in your life, the correct thing to do is assess your faith by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, by coming to His Word. And remember here, when the power of God is not experienced, we often blame God or run from God, they come and say, Lord, how? what do we need to learn here? It's the right posture. Verse 29, he tells them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. What is Jesus teaching them and us even in this moment? Well, what is prayer? Prayer is the tool that God has given us by which we express our dependence upon Him and through which God has promised to act on our behalf. It is the tool through which we express our complete dependence on God and by which God has promised to act in response to his people's prayer. In other words, as we express complete dependence upon God, God responds to our prayers to accomplish his will in our lives. So, friend, do you want to experience the power of God in your life? You come to this text and you say, how's my faith? How's my faith? Am I willing for my faith to grow? Am I expressing this dependence upon the Lord? Are you willing to bow your heart in dependence to express that before Him to say, God, I need you to move in my life? If that's the posture you're taking, I, I want you to know that the Bible teaches us very clearly that our God is one who delights in our trust and our faith and our dependence in Him. He is one who has said, everything is possible with me. And you and I come and we cry out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's the posture of prayer. He delights in your faith and your dependence upon him. So the real question is not just do you want to experience the power of God in your life, is will you allow Jesus to grow your faith and will you express that dependence upon him? Are you desperate like this father? Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this Father who, in this text, gives us such a clear example, not only to Your disciples, but for us today. That we as Your people would come to You expressing our complete dependence upon You. Lord, we we say together, we desire to experience the power of God in our lives, in our churches, in this school To the nations, Lord, we want to see your name be made great. And so we come, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We need you. We need your work in our lives. We need our faith to grow. Especially, Lord, when it's faltering, when it's feeble. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit SCBTS.edu.